Well, there's such a blessing in singing simple children's songs about Jesus. My heart was encouraged. Uh, the whole service has been encouraging. I, I like the, the opening devotional about Clea, Cleopas and his wife or the other man. We don't know. There were two of them that met Jesus on the Emmaus Road. And I just so appreciate it. Uh, Gary sharing from his heart of how we are not alone. God is with us. Jesus is with them. Jesus is with us. And other believers. Uh, we're here together, so I'm very encouraged. And then the Sunday school lesson. I don't remember Joe ever studying about uh, the background of Titus. And I just love the introduction to this, this church builder. Titus is just a trustworthy, loving, joyful church building kind of person that each of us should try to be like him. So it was a great Sunday school. Well, today I would like to take you on a journey back to a little while before Christ, actually a little over a thousand years before Christ in the time of the judges. This was one of the most dark times in Israel's history between Joshua, which is a book of such triumph and victory, and then First uh, and Second Samuel, where there was Samuel and Eli and the kings with uh, Saul and David and Solomon. Uh, there were some really high times during Moses and Joshua's time and then during David and Solomon's time. But in between, there's this period of maybe three or four hundred years known as the time of the judges. And there was a bunch of them, maybe 13 to 15, depending how you count them. But some were minor, some were major. Although the major ones, uh, some people call them major because after they got done delivering Israel, it would say the land had rest. And the minor ones, there was maybe only a verse or two, so maybe they weren't so minor, and there may have been more judges. They weren't judges in the sense that we have a judge in a courtroom. They were more chiefs uh, of, of um, tribes, and then sometimes of more than one tribe, and they uh, really led out in delivering people from God's enemies. In some ways, they were more warriors than they were uh, judges or lawyers, but they uh, are in the Bible because God put this book of Judges there for us to learn from and be encouraged. And my objective this morning is one objective is from Romans 15, verse 4 through 7. For whatsoever was written in the former times, the Old Testament, the book of Judges, and concluding that, was written for our instruction that we, through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And this is kind of in the theme of Sunday school, that God wants to give us hope and encouragement. And as we look at His Word, He can do that for us. So, we're going to go under an oak tree where an angel of the Lord meets uh, this man, Jeroboam. Jeroboam, that was his nickname. His name we know better as Gideon. Jeroboam was because... Uh, he broke down the idols of Baal and Asheroth, and, and, and the Jeroboam means uh, contend or fight with. And uh, basically, this man Gideon's father saved his life because after he broke down these idols, the, the townspeople were very angry, and they said, this, whoever broke down our idols is going to be killed. And um, Gideon's father said, let Baal fight for himself. Let him kill whoever he wants to kill. And he uh, thankfully saved Gideon's life. 
but I'm getting ahead of the story. The main story we're going to deal with is not uh, the one we remember most, which is pictured in our minds probably with the 300 men and the lamps and the trumpets or the ram's horns as they were around the Midianites. That was kind of the climax of the story. What we want to look at today is Judges 6, the first part of the chapter, where, uh, where Gideon meets the angel of the Lord. He had this encounter with God that would shape the rest of his life. And we today can be meeting with God through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus. So the uh, story of Gideon, the time of the judges, was, as I mentioned, a little before a thousand years, uh, a little over a thousand A.D. It lasted for three to four hundred years, and it involved all the tribes of Israel. There were twelve tribes. There wasn't a king at this time. And these judges came from all different tribes. It's very interesting how the, the judges that were mentioned in the book of Judges came from multiple tribes. This man, Gideon, was from the tribe of Manasseh, which is one of Joseph's uh, sons. There was Ephraim and Manasseh, and he was from the town of Ophrah, which was uh, pictured there on the map, on the uh, the west side of the Jordan River. Manasseh, some of the people of Manasseh lived on the east side of the Jordan River, some lived on the west side. And Gideon and his family found themselves on the west side of the Jordan River toward the Mediterranean Sea. He was from the tribe of Manasseh. He was from the clan of Abizah. His father was Joash, as I already mentioned. And this is a very weak tribe, and his clan and his family apparently was uh, not a significant uh, family at all. But God specializes in using insignificant tribes, insignificant families, and insignificant people. In fact, I think He can often use us better when we see ourselves as small and insignificant. In the case of Saul, who was a very tall man, when he was small in his own eyes, God chose him to be king, and he started well. But then when he got important in his own eyes, then things started falling apart. So we're going to look at Judges 6. Many of you already turned there in your Bible, verse 1 through 24. There's three sections. The first section gives us the situation, which I've already discussed, discussed somewhat. There was oppression. God's people were being oppressed by the Midianites. The Midianites were uh, people that descended from Abraham's second wife and his Torah. They had a number of sons, and one was Midian. And initially, these people, I think, were God-fearing people. In fact, Moses' wife was from the group of Midianites. Jethro was a priest in Midian. But over time, apparently, they had just totally slipped away into idolatry and they became enemies of God's people, along with many other of the Canaanite people. In fact, these different judges um, delivered God, uh, God's people from not only the Midianites, but the Ammonites, the Moabites, and Samson, probably the most famous of the judges, was against the Philistines. So all these different people. But in our, in our story, Judges 6, it was the Midianites. So the first six verses introduce how bad things were. The next verses, 7 through 10, uh, the people, the children of Israel, after seven years of trouble, they started crying out to God. 
and God sent him a prophet. This prophet was not named, but he explained to them, as all the other prophets did, the reason for trouble is because you have disobeyed God. You are worshiping idols instead of worshiping God. And so, you need to turn back to me. You need to get rid of the idols, and you need to start worshiping me and me alone. And so Gideon probably heard this message from this prophet, and he was probably thinking about all the idol worship in his life, the Baal and, and um, Asheroth and the other idols they had. And he was probably trying to think, how can I get back to God? How can I leave these idols behind? And he was also trying to make a living. And, uh, let's, let's, read, let's read the first two sections, and then uh, I'm going to have somebody help me read the main story. The main story is from 11 to 24, the message that God had for Gideon. And I think in the message to Gideon, uh, it's a message for each of us. So uh, follow along in your Bible or here on the screen. The first uh, section, the situation where the people of God were hiding, they were hungry, they were helpless, they were hopeless. Once again, the people of Israel sinned against the Lord. So they let the people of Midian rule over them for seven years. The Midianites were stronger than Israel. And the people of Israel hid from them in caves and other safe places in the hills. Whenever the Israelites would plant their crops, the Midianites would come with the Amalekites and the desert tribes and attack them. They would camp on the land and destroy the crops as far south as the area around Gaza. They would take all the sheep, cattle, and donkeys and leave nothing for the Israelites to live on. They would come with their livestock and tents as thick as locusts. They and their camels were too many to count. That's a lot of camels. And I was reading, camels apparently can run 30, 40 miles an hour. So if you're a warrior on a camel, you can go far and fast. And the kind of like horses, those of you children that have seen pictures, or maybe you've seen real camels. Maybe somebody's already ridden a camel. I never have. You've ridden a camel? Fantastic. Uh, it's just fantastic, Ellie. I needed to. Great. My understanding is they're a lot like horses, except they have this hump on their back that allows them to store food and nutrients, and they can go a lot further and faster through the desert. So, how many camels were coming against the children of Israel? Too many to count. And, that, and there was probably one person on each camel. So, they would steal the animals, they would steal the food. It was just absolutely horrible. And if you can imagine, seven years of this is a long time. So the children of Israel were hiding in caves. They moved kind of out of where the garden spots were, more up into the hills. They were trying to save what animals and food and life that they could. The final verse there in that section, the uh, Midianites came and devastated the land, and Israel was helpless against them. Then, this is where it gets better. The children of the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help against the Midianites, and he sent them a prophet who brought them this message from the Lord, the God of Israel. The prophet said, I brought you out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from the people who fought you here in this land. I drove them out as you advanced, and I gave you their land. I told you that I am the Lord your God, and that you should not worship the God of the Amorites, whose land you are now living in. 
but you have not listened to me. And now the last section uh, is God speaking. And this is the main question for us. God is speaking to Gideon, and he has a message for him. There are probably multiple things in this message. For me, there's kind of three things that really stood out to me as I studied this. And I'd like to give credit to Pastor Galen. He actually shared some thoughts from the first part of this story at, a, at the jail last Sunday in a little devotional. And in our men's meeting, those of you that were at the men's business meeting, and uh, this kind of got me going, and then I found some notes in my Bible, and I found some help from Chuck Swindoll, and, some, and uh, in my Bible I had in my margin written from years ago that there's a message that I am with you. You'll hear that in these verses. There's a message that I will help you. I have a plan for you, and I will help you with the plan that I have for you, Gideon. And last of all, we're introduced to a new name of God, and that is that God, Jehovah Shalom, God is peace. It's a message that God's peace will be there to protect not only Gideon, but his family and all the children of Israel. If they will not die, they do not have to fear. And so I've asked Brother Delvin to help me with the reading of this. And if you understand and read along or follow in your Bible or just quiet your heart before the Lord as these words come from God to Gideon. And actually, Delvin's going to read the, the parts about God. I'm going to read the Gideon part because I feel a lot like Gideon. Regularly, indeed, of reassurance that God is with me. God has a plan to help me. And uh, that his peace is abiding. So if you want to stand again for the, this part of the word. And then if Eric doesn't mind and the moderator doesn't mind, I'm going to have you pray for us at the end of the reading of the word. Is that feel okay? Okay. <clears throat> then the Lord's angel came to the village of Oprah and sat under the oak tree that belonged to Joash, a man of the clan of Abizah. His son Gideon was threshing some wheat secretly in a wine press so that the Midianites would not see him. The Lord's angel appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, brave and mighty man. Gideon said to him, If I may ask her, why has all this happened to us if the Lord is with us? What happened to all the wonderful things that our fathers told us the Lord used to do, how he brought them out of Egypt? The Lord has abandoned us and left us to the mercy of the Midianites. Then the Lord ordered him, Go with all your great strength and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I myself am sending you. Gideon replied, But Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest of the tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least important member of my family. The Lord answered, You can do it, because I will help you. You will crush the Midianites as easily as if they were only one man. Gideon replied, If you are pleased with me, give me some proof that you are really the Lord. Please do not leave until I bring you an offering of food. He said, I will stay until you come back. So Gideon went into his house and took the young goat and used a bushel of flour to make bread without any meat. He put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, brought them to the Lord's angel under the oak tree, and gave them to him. The angel told him, Put the meat and the bread on this rock and pour the broth over them. Gideon did so. Then the Lord's angel reached out and touched the meat and the bread with the end of the stick he was holding. 
fire came out of the rock and burned up the meat and the bread. Then the angel disappeared. Gideon then realized that it was the Lord's angel he had seen. And he said in terror, Sovereign Lord, I have seen your angel face to face. But the Lord told him, Peace, don't be afraid, you will not die. Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it, The Lord is Peace. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful story. And we're all listening like Gideon. We all feel pretty small, and we know you are great. And uh, somehow coming together and hearing this story reminds us of that in a good way. And we all have our issues and our battles that we face uh, in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, for the message that we are hearing. And uh, continue to bless Dan as he brings it to us, as he breaks this, uh, this bread before us. Help us to be encouraged and strengthened. For whatever our lives hold, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isn't that quite an amazing story? I was just so encouraged as I read this story and read it and reread it and listened to it on my little uh, iPhone recorder. And I just uh, found each of these three parts exactly what I needed. There, there may be more. Uh, in the story that touches you, but these three really touch, touch me and touch me, that God is present. Now, Gideon uh, really needed some reassurance that God was present. And he at first didn't realize that this angel of the Lord was actually God. Jesus probably reincarnated before he was born. He was come in the Old Testament. Uh, he maybe thought it was just a messenger or some ordinary man, or maybe an ordinary angel, but at the very end, the end of the story, when his flower, that he used the whole bushel of flour, that must have been pretty valuable with all the scarcity that they had, and the little goat, somehow I guess they had some, some goats hidden in the cave or whatever, but he butchered the goat, he made the bread, he put this offering in front of the angel, and then the angel, or the messenger, he thought he's maybe going to eat this, Instead of eating it, he touched it with his stick and fire came out of the rock and burned it up. And Gideon all of a sudden realized this was not an ordinary message. This was God present with him. And God is so powerful that he thought, I am going to die because I have seen the Lord. In fact, the conversation, if you notice, continued. The angel disappeared. Gideon said, God, I see you face to face. I'm going to die. And God still answered. Selvin read the line that said, Peace, you will not die. Don't be afraid. So it was like God's voice and God's presence was still there, even though the angel of the Lord had disappeared. So it is with us. We don't physically see Jesus here, but he is here through the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And at times, uh, he breaks through with messages to us. Often those messages are through His Word, through the Holy Spirit in us, but also through other people, and sometimes through circumstances. So this message of God's presence is so important for us as believers to realize that we are never alone. And I picked out a few verses about this. There are verses in the Old Testament, there are verses in the New Testament, so many verses about God's presence. God said to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Giving him encouragement to keep going toward the land of Canaan. Moses got very discouraged. 
but he was never alone, so God was with him. David in the Psalm 139, just a powerful psalm. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? And he describes going high, going low, that I can't get away from you, God. You are always with me. What a comfort. When everything is all right between our soul and the Savior, what a comfort. And when the things aren't right between us and Jesus, they can be made right by Him. Jesus Himself is our peace. In the New Testament, Jesus, before He left, told the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then the writer in Hebrews, quoting from the Old Testament, says, keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God's presence was going to be with Gideon. And he realized it in a new and an unusual and very scary way. But he was also comforted by the end of the visit. So let's move to the second uh, message. And that was that God had a job for Gideon to do. And he has a job for each of us to do. Who, me? Not me. I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. This is not Judah. This is not Levi. This is not an important tribe. And from the clan of Abizah. And my daddy is Joash. I'm not going to be the one to make a difference. And God spoke so clearly to him and he's speaking to us. I will go with you. You can do this because I am with you and I will help you. There's a lot of verses about God helping us and God giving us purpose, giving us a plan. From the Old Testament, Jeremiah, this wonderful uh, scripture, Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for good and not for evil, plans to give you a future and a hope. And from Proverbs and Psalms, we can look at verse after verse after verse of how God has a plan and a purpose and wants to help us. Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Verse 3, 5, and then verse 3, 6 says, What? In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. That's a chance and that's purpose. Psalm 37, the steps of the good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his ways. A number of years ago, we were at a missionary conference, and Claire Snook, who spent his whole life, he and his wife, in Ontario with uh, First Nations people up there, he went through four lights, as he called it, to determining God's will. Because often we struggle with uh, exactly what is my God's will for me uh, here in this church here in this hospital, here in this time as a child during school or a teenager or as a young adult, or maybe as in retirement. What is, what is God's purpose for me? Well, there's a lot of questions about finding God's will. And there's four things that I've noticed here that I have found very helpful when I'm puzzled. And the first two, as I recall, listed was the scriptures. I don't remember the exact order, but this is the order that I can 
of importance. God's Word is a light to our path, a lamp to our path, and a light to our feet. God's Word will enlighten us. And I'm sure you Christians have experienced that some word from Scripture comes to mind. It's like, you know what? That's God's Word for me for this situation. And then within us, I already mentioned the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is within us as a guide, as a comforter, to give us direction. And the Holy Spirit, using the Word, the Word is taught to us by the Holy Spirit, for instance, uh, these two things are, I think, primary ways that God shows His will to us. But He also can speak to us through situations. We sometimes say through happenstance, through open doors, through closed doors. We don't, I don't like closed doors, especially if the door I want to go through. But God can speak, and I can tell you multiple stories how in my life I banged and kissed and pushed against the closed door. Finally, finally, to realize that God is using this closed door in my life to redirect me in a different direction. And in uh, three particular situations, I felt so sad afterwards at how stubborn-headed, hard-headed I was to keep push- pushing and arguing and rearranging and trying to control things instead of just saying to God, my life is yours. And you, you direct my path. God can work through situations, through open doors and through closed doors. He also can give us wisdom how long to keep knocking on a closed door because those countries all around the world that are closed to the gospel and those countries need people within the country and those of us from without to be creative of getting the message of Jesus in the countries. And we need to know when to keep knocking and when to recognize that a closed door uh, simply means there's another open door or maybe just a time of waiting. That's very hard for me too. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Now the fourth uh, light is spiritual people. Giving counsel is such a blessing when other Christians and come alongside of you and encourage you and say, yes, that's what you're supposed to do. We struggled a bit about whether we should spend the whole, almost six weeks away this summer in Spain, uh, missing summer Bible school, which we love summer Bible school, and missing other things that will happen here this summer. But it's encouraging uh, different people, including Pastor Gale about uh, a week and a half ago, we were having breakfast together, and I was kind of sharing this, and he said, no, you shouldn't stay home. You should go to stay. This is an opportunity you need to go. And that was encouraging. Sometimes counsel from people, and sometimes situations can be very confusing. And I want to give you some encouragement if you're in a situation or when you face those kind of situations. Get back to the Word. Get back to prayer. Get back to the comfort of the Holy Spirit in your own life. Because we sure enough can't please everybody. Nobody can. But we can always strive to please God. And we can always try to be kind to those even uh, who disagree with us and say, ah, this is who you should be dating. Or, <laughs> hopefully nobody says to our... Uh, newly engaged couple, 
this is a mistake you should reconsider. If they do, don't believe them, Gary and Luann. Don't believe them. It's just people. So the scriptures, I put in bold here, the scriptures and the Holy Spirit of Jesus within us, I believe are primary, even though God can speak through situations, and He does. And He can speak through spiritual people, and He does. But let's uh, hold on to Jesus. Let's hold on to the Word. Let's uh, listen to the quiet voice of the Holy Spirit within us. Uh, I strayed from my notes there with an illustration. I, I hope they'll forgive me in the back. And hopefully, none of you will say an unkind word to them. Let's move on. When you don't know what to do with a situation or with counsel you're getting, this verse has helped me from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Because there's certain things about God's will, God's purpose, that are the same for every Christian everywhere. And here is a golden one. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. And here's the line. Look at this. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So I have at times when I've been confused and discouraged and not sure what to do next. But God, what is your will? This verse comes to mind. Oh, I can thank Nan for the things she just prepared. I can be thankful at work to the people who are around me. I can be rejoicing in the Lord. In every situation we can give thanks. Now I think it was Ruth Graham Bell that said, it doesn't say for everything give thanks, but it says in everything give thanks. Because there's a lot of terrible things in the world, and there's things happening in our lives that we can't really give thanks for that thing. But in the situation, we can give thanks because God is there with us. Now, the third message that I find encouraging me is this thing of peace. And this is the first time in the, the Bible that the uh, name of God, Jehovah Shalom, uh, appears. God revealed himself through the Old Testament and with names. He kept uh, revealing parts of his character and, and to pity this man who was so discouraged, so fearful of the Midianites, so fearful probably of starving, so fearful of loss. And then after the angel touched the food and there was a, an explosion, as it were, and then the angel disappeared, he thought, I am going to die if I met God. And no one sees God face to face and live in the Old Testament, at least. Now, we've seen Jesus, haven't we? People have seen Jesus, and by faith we see him. And he said, if you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. And I was going to mention, actually, all these judges and deliverers in the book of Judges actually are little pictures of that great deliverer, Jesus, who would come, not with all the imperfections and all the negative things that we read about the judges, but he would come perfect and sinless to be our deliverer, to be God's presence with us, Emmanuel, God with us, to be God's purpose for us. Our purpose is to serve Him and to be our peace. He came to make peace, He came to preach peace, He is our peace. So let's look at a few verses on the peace of God. Jehovah Shalom, God is our peace. The Lord told Gideon, peace. Do not be afraid. You will not die. 
Gideon built an altar to the Lord right there, and he named it, The Lord is Peace, Jehovah Shalom. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And this is from Philippians. Man and I just love this verse. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Her mother liked it in the Amplified. You know, now we can see the English Bible in so many different versions. Well, back when we were children in the 1960s and 70s, there weren't a lot of English Bibles around, but there was the King James Version and there was the Amplified. We had both in our home, and I guess they did in her home too. And here's the classic Amplified Version. Basically, the Amplified takes the words and it's like a dictionary to explain them. And her mother loved the amplified rendering of Philippians 4 7. Let's just go through it a little at a time. And God's peace shall be yours, that tranquil state of the soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God, and being content with its earth, earthly lot of whatever sort that is. That's which transcends all understanding shall garrison and mount guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know which of these three parts of the message spoke to you most today, but for me, all three are things I need. I need a sense of God's presence with me through the Holy Spirit. I need a sense that I am here at this time, at this age, 2018, to fill the slot God has given me. And I need His peace to guard my heart and my mind so, because so easily tomorrow, Monday, as I'm at the hospital feeling, and I've told too much about the hospital to too many of you, how all these patients all piled on at once to overwhelm my mind. I need His peace to guard my mind and my heart. And just relax, even as I'm trying to work hard. Just relax. And let His peace, that peace which transcends all understanding, guarding my heart, guarding my mind. I would imagine mothers need it when their children cry. Parents need it. When it's like, how do we help this situation, this child? School teachers need it. We all need it. We need God's presence. We need a sense of purpose that we are here to serve Him now, today, tomorrow, next week, as long as we're here. I was talking to Vernon yesterday at the prayer meeting, the men's prayer meeting right here over kind of uh, behind where Lowell was. We were sitting talking, or I was talking, he was listening. <laughs> and I told him, we're not going to be here long. And at 21, he agreed. Time is moving fast. Our time here on earth is short. But those of you that are 31, 
and 41 and 51. I think we even have people more than 81 here. I don't think anybody's in the 90s. But I think the older you get, the more you realize the time here on earth is very, very short. And God has a plan for our time. Whether we have another two hours here on earth, two months, two years, 20 years, some of you, if the Lord carries maybe here another 50, 60, 80 years. But it's still very short. So let's get a hold of God's Word. Let's get a hold of Jesus. Because He's reached out to get a hold of us. And I'm so glad for Jesus. I'm so glad for His presence, His peace, His forgiveness. And that He can comfort our hearts through the Scripture. I told you I had one objective for the message. And I pray that it may have happened today, and that is from Romans 15, what was written in former days in the Old Testament was written for our instruction that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another and accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the story of Gideon and all these stories in the Old Testament. We thank you that Jesus knew them and loved them and he was able to open the Old Testament scriptures after he rose from the dead to those two people walking the Emmaus road. And he taught them all things in the Old Testament about himself. And I would imagine that included how he was the presence in the angel of the Lord. He was the purpose. He was the help for the chance and the things that needed to be done in the Old Testament. And he was the peace. He was the pardoning sacrifice. Their atonement. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. <clears throat> thank you that you rose again. Thank you that you're interceding for us. And thank you for the hope that you're giving us. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Thank you all for listening.